Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by Candice Lepage. And, uh, well, welcome to all you who are new to campus, all you first-year students. Uh, I hope you are glad to be here. I think uh, the community is glad to have uh, some semblance of normalcy back with a... a full campus or a near full campus of students again uh you guys are in a very weird position where uh half the undergrads at u of g um basically have no campus experience no campus uh remembrances um and then the people who are going into their third year uh this year here at the university are uh well they they had uh, i guess six months six full months of of campus memories and then had to pack up quickly uh, near the end of the seventh month so um we're gonna have to get used to living with each other so we all have that to look forward to and credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we are here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which this week will be the new horror reboot Candyman which you can now see at a theater near you. And uh, that is something else we're having to get used to. And hopefully we will all be able to get used to that in uh, the coming months. Uh, We're going to kick off today by doing the second part of our fall movie preview. Um, (laughs) It's interesting to note that since um, we did part one last week, uh, there have already been some further uh delays uh because of the the delta uh variant and and new covid outbreaks uh this week we would have talked about the release of top gun around christmas time top gun has since been moved to next summer and last week we also talked about how jackass forever was supposed to come out uh in october and that has also been pushed back i can't remember to when off the top of my head because i thought we didn't have to talk about jackass for anymore it's we talked about it in the fall preview but there you go. So hopefully this will this will not change any further. Uh, my suspicion is that it will. Um, so this is the November and December uh, calendar here. And uh, we start on November the 3rd with The Harder They Fall, which is a Netflix film um, that is going to be a released. It, it's through Will Smith's production company, interestingly enough. So it is a predominantly black uh, Western film with uh, Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, Lakeith Stanfield, Delroy Lindo, and uh, many, many more. Uh, The director is a British singer-songwriter best known as The Bullets. So uh, I believe this is his first sort of full-length film. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what he does with uh, the Western art form being British. (laughs) Uh, On November 5th, we get The Eternals, which is the next Marvel movie uh, about a group of immortal aliens who have lived on Earth for 7,000 years and what happens when um, the evil aliens they've been avoiding that whole time suddenly arrive on Earth and uh, shenanigans happen. Uh, This is another pretty impressive cast. Also, the first Marvel movie to be directed by an Academy uh, Award-winning director... Um, Taika Waititi perhaps counts as well, but I believe he won screenplay. He didn't win Best Director. Um, 
but uh, Chloe Zhao, who won this year's Best Picture uh, for No Man Land. Also coming out that weekend is Spencer, which is a very... Um, an upcoming film that people have a lot of interest in because it is uh, about Diana, Princess of Wales. It stars Kristen Stewart, and uh, if you've seen any of the images of Kristen Stewart as uh, Diana, Princess of Wales, she really kind of disappears into the part. Um, and it's about this uh, very, let, let's call it, rocky period of Diana's life when uh, she is contemplating divorce from Prince Charles. So that will be very interesting to see. Um, perhaps uh, Oscar nomination for Kirsten Stewart. We'll have to see. On the next weekend, uh, more more fun on Netflix. We get Red Notice, which um, is from the director Ross and Marshall Thurber, who's like kind of one of the Dwayne Johnson repertoire of directors. He directed Central Intelligence and Skyscraper, um, and it stars Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. Um, Ryan Reynolds is a con man, Gal Gadot is an art thief, and Dwayne Johnson is a cop, so obviously they, they team up. I, I'm going to quote somebody I saw on Twitter last week with the when the when the uh, the trailer premiere. They said, you know, prove to me that this isn't Hobbs and Shaw Part 2 with, <laughs> with uh, Ryan Reynolds filling in for the Shaw part, because it's, it's kind of the same energy. Uh, on that same week, we get Tick, Tick, Boom, which uh, stars Andrew Garfield, but it is the directorial... Uh, directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame and In the Heights fame and it is the based on a it, it, it is a musical based on a, a musical a semi-autobiographical musical I should say uh, about Jonathan Larson who was the creator of Rent and then he made this other musical about his, his own life called Tick Tick Boom um, also that weekend on Disney Plus, you get the release of uh, Home Sweet Home Alone, which is essentially a remake of 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 the nineteen ninety Home Alone movie. Although it's not a remake, because apparently Macaulay Culkin has a cameo in it as uh, Kevin McAllister. I don't know why. Uh, if they were going to go to the trouble of getting Macaulay Culkin, why they wouldn't, you know, make Macaulay Culkin the dad of a new of the new kid in home alone so that it's, it's, it's flipped. Kevin becomes the guy who leaves his kid home alone. Cause Macaulay called, I mean, he was supposed to be 10 in the first home alone. So that was like 30 years ago. So it would be believable that Macaulay Culkin would have a young family now. Anyway, missed opportunity there. Uh, also that weekend we get Belfast, which is the new film from Kenneth Branagh, which he has called his most personal, uh, at the very least, it is <laughs> a dramatic drawdown from what he's done recently, because he did Thor, he did like uh, an attempt to reboot Jack Ryan on the big screen, he did Disney Cinderella, he's done two of those um, big-budget adaptation of the Agatha Christie novels, the the Poirot character, Murder on the Orient Express, which came out about three years ago, and Death on the Nile, which has not yet come out, it was delayed because of COVID. So... Um, It'll be interesting to see if Kenneth Branagh can do stuff without uh, over-exaggerated amounts of CG. On November 17th, we get The Power of the Dog, which is the new film from Jane Campion, who made The Piano and Top of the Lake. Uh, great cast there, with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, uh, and more. Um, on November the 19th, we get Ghostbusters Afterlife, which has was supposed to come out in October, but it was pushed back um, because of Delta. 
Um, I don't know what to add about Ghostbusters Afterlife. That doesn't sound bitter and cynical. So I will move to the other movie that comes out that weekend, which is King Richard, um, wherein Will Smith tries again for that Best Actor Oscar by playing Venus and Serena Williams' dad um, in a in a biopic about him. We'll see if uh, he is successful uh, finally to grab that Oscar. Um, on November 24th, we get Encanto, which is the new film from Disney Animation Studios. It has songs um, by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It is about a magical family in Colombia. Um, and that's kind of all I know about it. <laughs> On that same weekend, we also get The House of Gucci, which is uh, the second film from Ridley Scott this fall. It is a, uh, a dramatization about the murder of uh, Maurizio Gucci, uh, he was murdered by his wife, uh, Patricia, oh, I'm going to get her name wrong, Patricia uh, Runging, I don't know, uh, but she's being played by Lady Gaga, you've probably already seen the trailer, which is just very lavishly stylish, and uh, it stars uh, Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, just a really awesome cast, Um so that, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, that weekend, we also get Bruised, which will premiere on Netflix. Um, it is a biopic uh, starring and directed by Halle Berry. I believe it is her directorial debut. It is about um, the life story of MMA uh, fighter uh, Jackie Justice. Can't read my writing there. That was a mistake. But yeah, uh, MMA fighter Jackie Justice and uh, Halle Berry plays her in the movie. So I'll be interested to see if Halle Berry is um, a good and capable director. It, this is actually going to be an interesting season for uh, female actors turned directors because Rebecca Hall has a movie. I think it just came out. And then um, there's another film coming up shortly that uh, is also by a female actor turned director. Uh, this weekend, I just mentioned it because I find it fascinating. We're already rebooting the Resident Evil franchise. We're getting a new Resident Evil movie called Welcome to Raccoon City. It bears uh, no connection to the previous uh, six or seven Resident Evil movies. It's a whole new beast with a whole new cast, uh, including um, Kayla Scudelario, who was in the... She was in the the British move the British series Skins as well as the uh, Maze Runner movies Robbie Amell, uh, Hannah John Kamen, and more. So now we're getting into December. Uh, on December the third, we have Nightmare Alley, which is the new film from Guillermo del Toro. Uh, it stars Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, and many more, including uh, del Toro regulars like Richard Jenkins and Ron Perlman. Uh, it is about a, I guess he's kind of like a hypnotist, um, but he's like kind of like a, a stage talent who can get people to do whatever they want. And he, this kind of cat and mouse game he has with a psychiatrist, it's based on a 1946 book of the same name. So that could be very interesting. It sounds, uh, I mean, even, even the not so great Guillermo del Toro films are still, uh, really fun and interesting to look at. On that same weekend, we get Diary of a Wimpy Kid, which is going to be released on Disney+. Plus. It's like an animated version of the the books. Uh, there was a whole series of Wimpy Kid live-action films a couple of years ago. Perhaps it makes more sense to do it as animated so that you don't have to worry about, like, 
kids growing up. <laughs> um, on December the 10th, we get West Side Story, the Steven Spielberg remake of the Academy Award-winning musical. It'll be interesting to see what happens during the promotion uh, of this, because Ansel Elgort, who kind of had some Me Too allegations against them a couple of years ago, uh, some, some, some point between when this film was made and uh, when it was delayed, um, it was supposed to come out last fall. So it'll be interesting to see um, if Ansel Elgort has any part in the promotion of this film and how how much he is sort of highlighted. Uh, also that weekend, we get Don't Look Up, which is uh, the new Adam McKay film starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence as a pair of astronomers who are trying to warn people that the world is uh, coming to an end, that there's an asteroid heading for Earth. It's supposed to be a dark comedy. We'll have to wait and see. Uh... Also that weekend is A Jewel for Jordan, which is based on a true story. Um, Denzel Washington directs, and Michael B. Jordan and Shante Adams star. And, uh, it, you know, Denzel Washington is a very interesting director. He really likes to get in there and work with actors. Uh, Fences, of course, was based on a play. This is not based on a play. It's based on a book. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, if he kind of... Gets, I, I guess if he gets more cinematic, but the, from the sound of the uh, the story, it, it's going to be very small and intimate. So that may be the the level he wants to work on, and yeah, more power to him. Um, on December seventeenth, we get the release of Spider Man No Way Home, which is the next obviously Spider Man movie, picking up where the last one left off. Um, a lot of rumors and things about uh, what all this entails. The word the the word multiverse is is heavily involved. So um, if you've sort of been paying attention to the Marvel TV series, WandaVision and Loki, uh, we've been sort of walking up to this line of of the multiverse, and it'll be interesting to see if um, if this pays off the way people want, or if it's just more hyperbole. Um. The Lost Daughter comes out that weekend as well, and that is from Maggie Gyllenhaal. And then we're coming to the end of the year, at least on paper here. On December the 22nd, we get three sequels. We get The Matrix Resurrections, which is the fourth Matrix movie. Um, it's a mix of old and old old actors and new actors coming into the 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 movie. Uh, Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss are back. Um, the new actors include uh, Yahab Abdul Mateen II, Neil Patrick Harris, Priyanka Chopra. No one really knows anything about it. There was a bit of uh, footage screened at CinemaCon a couple of weeks ago, but I, I, I don't think it that particularly gave you any insight into the story, uh, just from the description I've read. Uh, also that weekend, you get Sing 2, which is the uh, sequel to, you know, it's an animated movie about animals in a singing contest. So, you know, I guess I guess it's the, the next singing contest or something. I don't know. And then uh, you also get, finally, The King's Man, uh, which has been long delayed and delayed and delayed because of COVID, the, the prequel to the first two Kings, uh, Kingsman movies. And then on December the 25th, we get American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story, and um, 
we get Cyrano from director Joe Wright, which is kind of like an updated musical version of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac with Peter Dinklage as Cyrano. So that will be fun to watch, I think. Um, who knows? Maybe I'm just being overly optimistic. Anyway, the movie this week we're reviewing was definitely fun to watch. It is called Candyman, and we will review it and get Candace on the line and uh, dive right in. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. I've learned to fake it and just smile along Down on the street The smell are all the same I need love Not games Not games Can we, can we, can we This is a story about a woman named Helen Lyle. She was a grad student, a white grad student, doing her thesis on the urban legends of Cabrini Green. For research, she came down to Cabrini a few times, you know, asking questions, taking pictures of graffiti, people. And then, one day, she just snaps. She beheaded a Rottweiler. By the time the police show up, she's in one of the apartments doing snow angels in a pool of blood. Ew. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no way. This she killed a Rottweiler? Yeah, this is extra even for you. If there are articles written about this. Look it up. <laughs> and that was a clip from Candyman. It is the new film from Nia DaCosta, and it stars Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, Tayona Paris, Nathan Stewart Jarrett, Coleman Domingo, and Vanessa Williams. So I am now being joined on the line by Candace Lepage. Candace, how have you been in the the last month or so since we last chatted on the show? Um, I'm I'm I fine, I suppose. <laughs> I hate August. It's awful. I'm very glad it's September. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. survived, I guess, is what I'll say. Right on, right on. Um, you also survived the screening of Candyman, I see. So, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you talk about uh, why you wanted to uh, head back to the theater, I believe, for the first time since the pandemic to uh, to talk to uh, to review Candyman and talk about that. Why did you want to check that one out? Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure way back in, uh, you know, January of 2020, when we were talking about our our um, most anticipated, I'm pretty sure Candyman was actually number one for all of us, if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. We were all pretty excited by this film. Um, but obviously, Jordan Peele is producer. Jordan Peele has shown himself to be a uh, really great writer and director. So, um, you know, at, with the uh, the producer uh, side, uh, we assumed, and I assumed that you know he would he would do a pretty good job. Um, mm-hmm. director Nia DaCosta, I, I've, don't believe I've ever seen any of her films, but she's obviously a, uh, a name on the rise, what with being 
part of the Marvel universe now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you, you don't get uh, tapped for something like that um, only to fill a diversity slot, despite what some people think. Um, mm-hmm. There are lots of black directors who could be chosen to fill a diversity slot. Uh, she was obviously chosen because of her talent. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I was all already, uh, you know, pretty excited to see this Candyman when I was younger was, um, a film I really enjoyed. And I would say was certainly underrated. Um, not not so much underrated by me, but I'd say underrated <laughs> in general. But when I say like, I, I'm not going to say underrated by me, but something I I haven't revisited as often as I revisit some of the other slashers and things. And a big part of that is because even with its um, somewhat problematic trying to tell a story about um, race and class, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it 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 kind of didn't do it um, uh, in a in a super great way, uh, but it was also <laughs> 1992, and it did what it could. But so, uh, even with the, the problematic things, it was always a film that just took a little more paying attention and and things like that. It's not the kind of thing you just sort of throw on on a Sunday afternoon to vacuum to. Unlike all the ridiculous um, uh, shark movies I've been watching this summer. Um, it's the kind of movie you actually, you know, stop and pay attention to. So I haven't revisited it as much as I should, but certainly when I watched it in the nineties, um, it was, it was, a you know, high up on, on my list of films that were just great. And I did rewatch a lot back in the day. So I um, was just really excited to see a, you see this come back to life and in a way that, um, would maybe address some of uh, some of those those you know race and class things uh, actually from the experience of of people who are going to to who have lived that rather than through the experience of a white academic working on her thesis, which is you know how we're told the story in the first one. Hmm. Uh, I would I would agree that uh, that first Candyman it is not of a piece of like with the previous slasher movies, um, I guess of the time period. Like Candyman has kind of like a a backstory to him, um, a, a tragic backstory. Uh, he is not like a I guess a proactive slasher in the same way that you know Jason or Michael or. Freddie or any of the rest of them are even I, I in, in like sort of digging into th- this film um apparently at one point around the time they did Freddie versus Jason they were looking at like a, as uh, a way to sort of jump off of uh that success looking at doing a Candyman versus Leprechaun and it's like somebody <laughs> clearly didn't understand what what the first movie was trying to do <laughs> um if I mean because even Leprechaun is you, you you don't want to attach any kind of like uh, ethnic uh, messaging in in that because it's just about uh, a little leprechaun who eats faces. But um, yeah, th- like the, the that first movie I think is is vastly misunderstood. Even though a lot of the misunderstanding is taking part on the side of the filmmakers because it quickly become 
it becomes about this uh, white woman who, uh, going hard for her thesis, as I uh, saw on Twitter recently. Um, yes, I did enjoy <laughs> that tweet myself. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it becomes this kind of... Um, you know, this kind of domestic drama with her, like her partner being a philanderer and, and all these sorts of things. It, it, it's just like, it, there was, it was interesting on a lot of levels and it was a missed opportunity in a lot of ways too, that I feel like that this new Candyman capitalizes. If anything, if there's anything going on with this Candyman, it's like that there's almost too many ideas going on all at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> too many could could be a term um but also i think you could just uh you know bring it it, it all stems from the same thing really mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. white supremacy the villain is always white supremacy <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah so i i was pretty excited by this and i i actually watched the first candy man again um first time in a few years so i watched it the night before going to the theater um and so what's also weird today that we're recording is this is the first time uh that um i didn't see the movie like yesterday or the day before i actually saw Mm. it on opening weekend last weekend Mm and uh because i did not want to wait i just i I had to (laughs) i was like no i want to be there and i also want to contribute to those numbers those stupid important opening weekend box office numbers which Mm -hmm. i think is such a dumb way to um measure success but um it is unfortunately so i wanted to make sure to contribute to that i also just wanted to see it right away so that i wouldn't have to uh avoid the internet for a week Mm -hmm. um uh, but yeah, so I had rewatched the first one too the night before, and uh, had a, just a great weekend of of Candyman and of thinking, thinking all these thinky thoughts. It's it's hard to fault a, a movie that has like too many ideas going on because there's so many movies that don't have enough ideas. But I mean, yeah, it, it does all come down to basically white supremacy. Um, there's a lot of interesting things about like sort of and a lot of interesting things that have sort of like added to the Candyman mythology. I watched. The, that I rewatched that Candyman, that first Candyman, a couple of months ago, and I've I've been sort of struggling the last few days to remember like what's a lot of this stuff in there, like the idea of like multiple Candymen, um, you know, did they ever explain like the connection between the hook hand and the bees and the <laughs> the, the like the name Candyman and the like saying it in the mirror and all that stuff, um, and I think that's where kind of this. It, it's interesting because you there, there's so much going on in that character and and kind of none of it is kind of thoroughly explained in that first movie so it's it kind of, there's kind of permission there to um explore i guess aspects that were left unexplored in those earlier movies so in in a sense while this is kind of like fairly very dedicated to the original film and that mythology it still has a lot of room to like grow and explore things. And um, there is also like a connection between um, the, the original film and this one. And I got to tell, I got to say when, when it was revealed, I was like kicking myself. It's like, how did I not see this coming? Um, 
it, like because all the all the parts are there, like from the mom, like being insistent at like talking to the son, uh, mm-hmm. to to the main character Anthony McCoy, and it's like, you know, the script is like coding that as like this is something you should be paying attention to. This mom, why doesn't he want to talk to his mom? Who is his mom? And uh, I, I found that very interesting as well. I was kicking myself when they when it was revealed hit like Anthony McCoy's backstory, but I, I was still loving it. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, two things. One, I will say uh, I so because I had watched the film the day before, um, I recognized uh, the actress Vanessa Williams' name in the cast um, mm-hmm. on the big screen that the following morning, and I said, "Oh, they've they've you know she's going to be in this," and that's like the first moment when I realized, okay, this is actually a direct sequel to the first film because they've you know the, the this woman is going to be in it again. Um, mm-hmm. And I kept waiting for her and waiting for her without actually realizing <laughs> Anthony. And like, I literally just watched this movie yesterday where she screamed Anthony like a million times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just did not put it together, which um, I think is one of those things where, like, I don't know if it was because I was just so drawn into the story that I I just wasn't sort of paying attention that way. Um I'm not sure why, so I, I sort of feel the same way where it happened, and I was like, "What? what is wrong with me? Of course. Like, I literally just watched the movie yesterday. I should have followed this line better. But um, one of the things that I think this film did that really helped sort of retcon or fix some things from the first one and or just really tell us, like, how we as the white audience understood black trauma um, so mm-hmm. in the first one, the the black villain Candyman is haunting and killing black people in Cabrini Green, mm-hmm. and a white woman comes and finds out and saves the black child from the black violence. And so mm-hmm. in the '90s, and and uh, sadly up until this day, people still talk about black on black violence. But in the '90s, that was that was the hugest thing about race relations. Is like we have to stop black on black violence, and mm-hmm. we all bought that. We all thought that black people were violent towards other black people, and there was something going on in their community causing that. Now with this new Candyman, what we see is Candyman is. Um, you know, this cycle of black trauma where black men are killed by white people over and mm-hmm. over and over again. And in in this time, they actually really cleaned that up and made Candyman um, not... I mean, sometimes there are a few times when he did kill other black people uh, who are mm-hmm. maybe being smug or whatever, but primarily, and especially in this film, he only kills white people, and he he primarily kills white people who are profiting off black minds, black bodies, black art. Um, yeah. And so, like, they really hit that home, which I really enjoyed, and uh, I think this is one of those weird things where, I mean, I love horror films, and I love them because of this, because this is what horror films can do at their best but i also recognize that there are people who are just not going to be open to this they went into Candyman wanting you know a guy with a hook killing people um, <laughs> and that's not what they got and 
some are going to be happy with it. They're going to be like, oh, this is so much more than I thought it was going to be. This is so exciting and interesting, and I'm glad to look at these things. And then there's going to be the people who are just like, ugh, woke filmmaking. Ugh, you know, why does everything <laughs> have to be about this? And um, I just want those people to just stop going to see movies. It's like, you know what? You obviously, you don't get it. You don't understand <laughs> that entertainment, one, like literature and arts and all that have always reflected the times that we're in and so always tell social commentary and it is the best way for us to learn and to experience to to literally be in the eyes of you know brianna in this film or anthony in this film we are literally empathizing with them because they like fiction is the best way for us to understand other people's problems just stop going to movies seriously i mean if yeah people who are bothered by the quote-unquote wokeness i would not consider it uh, you know I, I i there is something sort of annoying about writing things off as woke and i think there are people who kind of use wokeness as a state of mind opposed to actually doing the work of wokeness which is to try and open yourself up to other perspectives and other um ways of doing things like there's a very kind of sort of corporate wokeness that's more more about like saying look how woke i am than there is about actually doing the work and i don't think this is that um it is very much you know baked in all these again all these ideas you know the the idea of like well what is the point of uh of creating the projects of creating the ghetto and is you know is it like kettling all these people of color into one area, which then you don't service and the area falls apart. And then it, that property becomes cheap. And then the white people move in and gentrify it and uh, start profiting on it. And then the whole cycle starts over again by moving all the disadvantaged people, all the poor people to, to other places. What role does artists have in that? Because there is, I mean, and this is a truism too. And we see this in a lot of places and, whether that's in, you know, here in Guelph, you know, in the Ward area or in places in Toronto, um, you know, where places are sort of run down, rent is cheap, artists move in, start, you know, creating, you know, neighborhoods that people want to, that people, other people then become attracted to. They want to attach themselves to what's hot and what's new and what's different. And then the gentrification comes and, you know, see that area is like in the Danforth. It's, it's, um, you know, there, there's a lot kind of going on there that we like to attach ourselves to the culture of the disadvantaged, including black people. And w without kind of really recognizing um, them as as people, we want to attach ourselves to the culture, and I think there's actually a line in the movie where it's something to the effect of like they like what we make, they don't like us. I think um, the laundromat char uh, character mm -hmm. uh, William says that at one point, um, but I mean that that's a perfectly legit message. But on the other hand, though, we're talking about the social messages in the movie. It's also like a really effing well made movie with a lot of really inventive kills a lot of really great use of like mirrors like there's this one shot where um you know this person's getting killed in an apartment building and everything's kind of, all the windows are kind of lit up and you're pulling away from the apartment building as you're watching her like get killed by like the invisible force of the candy man and it, mm -hmm. it's 
you know, there's a there's a scene where a bunch of teen teen girls are killed in a bathroom, and you see it all through the reflection of this compact mirror that's sitting on the floor as the one girl's like hiding in the stall, watching it all happen in this compact mirror. It, it's like there's just there's you know, Nia DaCosta was like clearly like <laughs> I don't know if she was like thinking to herself like if this is the only Hollywood film I'm gonna make, it is gonna be awesome. There's gonna be a ton of awesome shots. It's gonna look beautiful. And, um, you know, this is my shot and I'm taking it. And I, I don't think there's um, sort of any wasted opportunity here. The film is just like wonderful to to watch. It's, it's just a, a very well made movie. Um, and I, I say that like not as like it's a good horror movie. I think it's a it's a it's a very well made movie. Just period. It, it's there's clearly a lot of thought and a lot of creativity in a lot of in in the way a lot of the shots are are constructed. Yeah, I definitely agree that it was just like really beautiful to look at. There was like I- incredible work done like you said with the mirrors and with just like mirroring shots in general. Um you know, so it it all opens with um you know, the, your standard sort of overhead shot that sets you in the city right as many movies do like Mm -hmm. okay this movie is set here except everything is flipped upside down it's you know and and they they did this a number of times with the you know shots just being reflected rather than than you know so we're getting the mirror image rather than the actual image and it um it's always interesting because you can tell like you can tell when you're looking at this flipped image even though sometimes it's like there's nothing there's nothing that would let you know that it's flipped and that first um, sort of main kill where we see Candyman in the the art gallery is just like that whole scene is just so well done. Um, and, you know, while I would say that this film is not scary, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't find the first one to be either, right? I know a lot of people are like, oh, I can't watch Candyman. And it's so scary. I'm scared of horror films. I'm like, there's no real, like, jump scares. There's not a lot of scariness to it. There is a lot of, of gore. And, you know, that first mm-hmm. kill especially is really, really gory. But I also really appreciated just the immense amount of body horror that is in this film that I did not expect. Um, the character of Anthony goes through a transformation that is disgusting like (laughs) i i there were a lot of parts of the film that i really had a hard time looking at the screen because it was so gross Mm -hmm. and what's even more interesting about that and i think this is part of having a woman um filmmaker is that um uh yaya abdul mateen who's the actor who plays anthony mccoy i i've not really seen him before in things so he appeared on screen and oh my goodness in the first half hour of the film he is just so beautiful she (laughs) shoots him she shoots him in all of these ways that are just like wow wow this man is just (laughs) yeah you can definitely kind of feel the female gaze a bit in in some of those uh, shirtless scenes but uh, uh, I mean he's Yahab Abdul Mateen, he he's kind of like one of these actors who's I don't want to say he's been in everything, but like he was in the Watchmen show, he was in Aquaman, um, he's been in a lot of usually like kind of small roles, but I mean he's one of these actors who's uh 
kind of been slowly but surely building a resume doing these small roles and bit parts but i mean he's a he's a handsome man and uh and uh <laughs> nia da costa definitely noticed that <laughs> yes yes but yet did not shy away from making him so awful looking like i i think mm-hmm. it's really important mm-hmm. how and striking that transformation you know from from this like really beautiful man really sensitive artist who is um you know really very talented but struggling in a you know with a personal sort of like you know creative sort of thing and turns him into a a monster like it is really impressive yeah i will i will second the whole thing about the body horror because i mean yeah it it is it strangely enough it's like so much easier to just watch like somebody get sliced open and have blood spill all over the place and watch somebody like pick at a scab or or take glass out of their foot or something it's you know those those are the kind of things that it's like you know kind of like visual earwigs where it's like you you can't stand the sight of it um and, you know, it's, I'm kind of, I guess it maybe is how you define, I mean, it's not scary, like as in jump scares, but it is like sort of deeply uncomfortable. And uh, I, I I think I, I would rather, I, I guess I would rather sit there with trying to, you know, avert my gaze from watching somebody pick at, you know, <laughs> terror, like diseased and dead fingernails off their hand and you know have someone jump out of a closet or something and some other like you know traditional horror movie shtick like that um i guess it depends on one's taste i I just i always come back to the fact that you know at the end of the day the original tech check tech the original texas chainsaw massacre isn't especially gory but it is sort of deeply disturbing the way it's shot and the, the roar of the uh, the chainsaw and um, like the angles and the ferocity and the the, the franticness of the camera work. Um, that's what gets you. It's not like the the gory I, the idea of like someone being horribly cut up by a chainsaw because you actually don't see much of that in the movie. It, it's it's the way it's shot, and I think that's. Um, there's a lot of that going on in Candyman too. Just like the way some of the things are shot, um, are kind of makes you more disturbed than the actual goings on on can- on that the actual goings on on screen. That, that, that there's there, I think Nia DaCosta is playing with some of those ideas too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I I do think it's important to talk about um, Brianna's character a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One, uh, this film was supposed to come out in, what, June of 2020, I think, and was, like, completely filmed Mm -hmm. and and complete. Um, But uh, I I could not, you know, I don't want to say that it's um, a benefit of the film having waited so long or taken so long to come out. But watching the film, I just could not stop thinking about Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. who was killed um, after this film was was made and everything. Um, and just sort of thinking, you know, and and obviously they, um, the art piece 
that Anthony yes. creates is called Say My Name, which yeah. is a direct, like direct line to the um, Say His Name, which started, you know, back in 2016 with um, Philandro Castile and became really, really prominent again with Breonna Taylor with the Say Her yeah. Name and yeah. talking about how important it is that these black people who are killed at the hands of of police that their names are remembered and important um you know it's it's really um depressing i guess that they made this film and had it planned to come out in 2020 and nothing like 2020 basically mirrored this film like yeah the things that happen in in 2020 in black communities in Canada and North and United States are right there on the screen. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where I talk about horror that I love that it can like create social commentary by by creating these sort of you know fantastical uh, situations. And it's like there's almost nothing fantastical about this film. Like it's it's so in line with everything but mm-hmm. you know well, the one thing i do want to really say about brianna's character though is just um the film does sort of talk a little bit about class you know it's mm-hmm. it's mostly really strongly about race but they definitely do talk about class because brianna and her her brother troy for whatever reason are in a, a pretty you know comfortable um class uh for Mm. black people in chicago right they come from sort of a academic uh artsy background you know she's a a curator of of art and she's well known and well liked and you know works for white men who are you know the (laughs) owners like she's their employees but she's still in this world where she's clearly um you know they have like their their apartment is cost a lot of money mm-hmm. you know, she's constantly she's working constantly she's dressed very well she is from a, a higher class and yet at the end of it all none of that matters and there's even a part where she's offered a job mm-hmm. where it says like why don't you come work for us where you can change things from the inside and it's just like but you can't you can't change things from the inside and she talks at one point, like at this dinner with all these other snooty art types. She says, "Like, well, I've been thinking about like going out on my own." And they're like, "No, no, no, you shouldn't do that. You should come work for us, and you know, like make change from the inside." And it's, and you're right because I mean that that's not how that works. It would <laughs> she would probably serve herself better by going out and and building on her own uh, success and and uh, and making her own opportunities. There is something very haunting about like the. Uh, the points you were getting at with her being named Brianna with the whole thing about the say, say his name art piece and all that. And it maybe plays into like the, the duality of the, the story and the Candyman legend and, and all that. It's like this movie is both prophetic and sort of what was going to happen around the time it came out, but it is now having come out after all that is responsive to it, even though it was made before all the events sort of people are seeing those connections too. So there's like this, it, it, it exists in this kind of weird time, time dilation field where it is both prescient and this both, um, 
critical of <laughs> of this very specific time period around this time last year. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's one of these things that makes you like attach even like super supernatural thinking to like the filmmaking. It's like, were the, did did Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta and everyone involved, like, did they have their finger on the pulse or are we, are, are we the viewers kind of catching up to where they are? Um, yeah. And that's it. It's we white people, particularly we progressive white people mm-hmm. really had, you know, and many of us continue to have no idea. There's nothing prophetic about this film. This is literally the, the reality of black people in North America and has been for a very long time. They weren't, you know, slaves for years and then suddenly free and safe and living happy lives until, you know, the year 2016 when suddenly police started, you know, carting them and and shooting them. Like mm-hmm. this was always there. We just mm-hmm. never saw it. And a big part of that is because we never gave black people the big screen to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And I, this occurred to me as you were talking to, I, I do want to kind of like, this isn't all kind of like social commentary and, and body horror. I mean, there are, there are some like genuinely uh, funny bits in this, uh, you know, Nathan Stewart, Jared, who plays the, the brother, Troy, he, he's got a, a lot of really great one liners. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene, um, where Brianna opens a, where she's looking for for Anthony at the laundromat, and she's she's in uh, she's in the back room of the laundromat. She opens one door and it goes to a basement, and she goes nope and shuts the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the same thing. Troy has the line about like black people don't need to be like in inviting things. Like yeah. no, 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 we don't need to say Candyman. No, we're having none of this. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a, there's a lot of there's there's some fun bits as well. Um, and it's I, I heard somebody else say like it, it could have been. I, I'm big. I'm a big fan of ninety minutes, ninety minute, ninety and done. I'm I'm a big fan of that. Although I I will say I I think that the time crunch is particularly felt in that third act. It feels like we just sort of like jump from the the reveal of Anthony's origins to the to the uh end game um i i would not necessarily object if there was a little bit more room to breathe in in that runtime but on, on the other hand I, i'm a big believer in 90 and done so um i'm kind of struggling with what i want there but it it it, it I, I i i did like the length i thought it was a good sit so yeah, yeah, I'll agree. Like I, I thought it was a nice, it was nicely paced. But mm-hmm. I have pretty much universally heard from people that they would have been okay if this was maybe ten minutes longer. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I think about, um, like Ari Aster's films, like Hereditary mm-hmm. and Midsummer, I, I think both of those were a fair bit longer, um, and didn't feel like they ran over time. You know, and and I will say, like you and I obviously are talking a lot about the social commentary, but a film like um, *Midsummer* was mm-hmm. also very heavily coded on like mm-hmm. abusive men, like it, you know, in this way that it's like you could still just watch it and go, "Whoa, there's this like weird cult and they're killing people," um, or you could watch it with the like, "Oh, look, the woman finally gets." 
to take control of this situation and ruin this terrible man. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, white, white people. You need to understand that like, it's okay for social commentary to be in films. And when it's in your white film, it's still there. Even if you don't see it, just because you see it when it's a black film doesn't mean that, that that's the problem. It's, just that you don't understand the issue it's just it um yeah it just really upsets me this whole thing this whole business i should just not spend time on the internet i think well that's good advice for all of us um <laughs> but <laughs> i would agree i i i i i liked i liked the direction this went in i liked everything that the not maybe not everything but i i, I liked the film enough that i would happily sit through it again to sort of uh, dig through all the the coding and the messages and and see what else I can find and um, yeah I I I think I think Candyman has been well served by this movie and I and I think it opens I think it also opens the door to more I I hesitate to suggest to studios to sequelize things but you know I I think a lot of the layers they introduce to the story I think it would make it very easy and interesting to sort of explore the Candyman mythos further. I, I don't know if they purposefully set it up for uh, a sequel in the end, but I would not, if, if the same care and attention to detail is brought to a sequel as it, as it, as exists in this movie, I would, I would not object to seeing uh, further Candyman as it were. Yes. Yeah. I can't decide if it's uh if it's bleak or happy ending, you know, bleak in that, you know, the trauma just continues. Um, and, and I guess uh, maybe that could be turned into a happy ending if we get to see another film of Candyman just slaughtering a bunch of um, white people who uh, abuse black people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Candace, um, assuming you don't leave the internet, how can people find you online if they want to? Yeah, you can find me online everywhere at <laughs> sin48, C-I-N-N-4-8. Um, you know, you can send me, like, gifts, dance music, uh, all sorts of happy things to remind me that there is good on the internet. Uh, you know, it's not all, it's not all people complaining about woke art. <laughs> And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it, and if you would like to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean every Friday, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU in the Spotify app. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for still more end credits, and we will see you then. Mm-hmm.